This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. It is instant analysis following the Alabama Crimson Tide's 32-31 loss in overtime. To the LSU Tigers, Saturday night in Baton Rouge. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL, back with you here on the podcast. Now, we're going to get into this game from a number of angles. I'm going to try to make it through the entirety of this podcast with my voice intact. I'm battling through some sinus issues, so please hang in there with me. We're going to do our best to cover this thing from top to bottom, left to right. But what we'll do is we'll incorporate five predictions from Friday that we had for you on the website there at BamaOnline.com, and we'll revisit those predictions and sort of tie them into what we saw on the football field Saturday night, and we'll go position by position, kind of a stream of consciousness, or some people might say in my particular circumstance, unconsciousness, but we'll do our best to put a wrap on Alabama's second loss of the season. That's something you don't typically hear in relation to Nick Saban teams at Alabama, After the first Saturday in November, an Alabama team already with two losses. And so a season of firsts in a lot of ways, or first time since anyways, uh, continues on for this Alabama team. A few weeks ago, it was the first loss to Tennessee since 2006. It was on Saturday night. Alabama's first loss in Baton Rouge since 2010. You also, in this loss, have Alabama dropping road games, back-to-back road games dropped by an Alabama team coached by Nick Saban for the first time since his first year on the job. When Alabama went to Mississippi State and then a couple weeks later also lost the football game in Saban's first Iron Bowl is Alabama head coach. So some things Alabama fans would rather not hear about. We'll get more into the bigger picture at another time, maybe some later in this podcast. But what we'll do is we'll start with five predictions from Friday. First prediction, someone other than a quarterback or running back will have a rushing attempt for Alabama. I base this on the fact that, well, We've seen two Alabama quarterbacks carry the football this season. We've seen six Alabama running backs carry the football this season. But we haven't seen another skill player carry the football. We haven't seen a fake punt, anything like that. I'm not sure we're ever going to see that with James Burnett. Maybe maybe at some point in the next year or two. Um, And we had also heard from Nick Saban earlier in the week about diversity, more diversity in the run game because – My way of looking at that is, boy, defense is more and more as the season has worn on because Alabama either can't or won't get the quarterback involved in the run game. And I'm not talking about in terms of quarterback powers or quarterback draws even or anything like that. I'm talking about just... Bryce keeping the football, moving the launch point, maybe giving him a tight end, sliding out into the flat with him to make an easy throw and keep that 
backside defensive end honest because what you're seeing and you saw it again from LSU on Saturday night was these backside ends like Ojolari and these other guys, they're just running stuff down from behind. And we really didn't see much in the way of diversity in the run game. Now, that's not to say that the backs weren't extremely impactful in the game anyway because they were between Jameer Gibbs, Jace McClellan, and Roydell Williams, you're talking about 270 scrimmage yards and two touchdowns in the game. So they were anything but left out. And really, for an extended stretch there, given the lack of production from the wide receiver position, and especially in that first half, Bryce threw for 170 yards in the first half Saturday night, 36 receiving yards for Alabama wide receivers of that total. It was pretty much pitch and catch with – the backs, Jace McClellan had the 65-yarder there that helped set up uh, one of Will Riker's four field goals in the game. Uh, and then you had Jameer right on the doorstep of another 100-yard game. He ended up, I think, with 99 yards on 15 carries. And he had a couple of explosive runs. He had a couple of 14-yarders. I think he had a 19-yarder and a 34-yarder. But it was, once again, more of the home run or strike out type of approach to the run game and again they made up for it Jameer was very active in the the passing game with eight catches and Jace had the big play you got a couple of short yardage touchdown runs by Roydell Williams Roydell also converted a couple of fourth and one opportunities on that drive to start the third quarter um, for the Alabama offense so again there were highlights uh, but as far as straight-out diversity in the run game, we didn't see an end-around. We didn't see anything like a flea flicker off a give to Jameer. Um, really didn't see much in the way of shots. Until later in the game, you saw a few more. And some of that was manufactured by Bryce and you know his ability to, to sort of uh, work his magic against a six-man pass rush and still get his eyes up the field and find Ja'Cory down the field. So that was one of the predictions that we had. Um, for the running game specifically uh, in that matchup with LSU. And look, the bottom line is points, right? Points is what the game is about. We can talk scrimmage yards. We can talk rushing yards. We can talk all these yards. But it comes down to points. And with Alabama's final eight possessions in the game, they got points on seven of them. Now, four of those were field goals. So that's... That's not ideal. And in a game like this, when you look back and you see some opportunities, especially with Bryce throwing the pick on the opening possession there uh, of the game, and, and it just felt like the energy that Alabama had early, especially on offense, went away. I'll give the defense credit for about a quarter and a half, two quarters. You know, it, it kept Alabama in the thing, uh, especially after Alabama has the turnover there. Um, and then you're talking about another trip down inside the 10 where they get only a field goal. A lot of money, as Nick Saban likes to say, left on the table in those situations. But they produced points, the uh, the offense did. And they presented the defense with an opportunity on multiple occasions. An experienced and a defense that we felt like all along would be one of the more talented units in all of college football. Similar to the Tennessee game, had opportunities late to finish the job. We can talk about officiating in Knoxville. Can't talk about it as much in Baton Rouge Saturday night. Uh, just did not get the job done. And so, um, 
it's it's a tough situation uh, for the Alabama defense, but but that is one in which you expect that side of the ball to get it done, and they did not. Second prediction for the game on Friday: LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels will carry no fewer than fourteen times, and we outlined this really throughout the week, starting with last Monday, with what Saban said and what we think it means, but. He is so critical to everything LSU does offensively, but even as a runner, you look at his carries coming into the game, by a wide margin, he led the Tigers, Daniels did, in totes. He had 18 more carries in the game Saturday night, rushed for 95 yards, and it's not like LSU didn't get it out of their backs, too. You look at some of these rushing numbers and these two losses for Alabama now, And you say, well, Tennessee didn't really run the ball that great. Well, they ran for 182 yards in that game. I believe it was 182, somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, LSU on Saturday night rushes for 185. And it wasn't just Daniels, although what you're going to remember most about some of the defensive failures for Alabama in this game is how in the hell do you not account for this guy in the run game? And, you know, he had the third and five run there with Alabama – up 21 to 17 in the fourth quarter where Alabama's manned up across the board and you don't have anyone accounting for Daniel's legs and sometimes you dial up pressure and if the guy beats you he beats you but he beat Alabama for 31 yards on that and that's tough but you can deal with that a little bit easier than you can his touchdown run in overtime where that's a bread and butter run play a bread-and-butter play in general, RPO-type play with him. And you lose contain, you lose leverage to start with. I believe it was Dallas Turner who who was kind of in that tough spot. And it's not an easy position to be in there. You know, he's kind of optioning off of you. I get that. Um, but you lose leverage on the quarterback. Jalen Moody gets blocked. Brian Branch gets blocked. And I mean – at this point in the game, maybe early in the game, you get hit with something like that, you know, until you kind of get your legs under you. But in overtime, you're giving up something that easy. It was it was sobering uh, to, to to see that. And um, so Daniel's very effective once again as a runner. The third and five, as I said in the fourth quarter, um, was a big one. But it, it was the backs too. I mean, Josh Williams. Um, you know, isn't Leonard Fournette, but he had a better game against Alabama than Leonard Fournette had back in, what was it, 2016 or so? I guess maybe 2015. But Josh Williams had a couple of runs where he just ran right through Henry Toa Toa and Jalen Moody. You know, so again, not much in the way of thump. The numbers look pretty good when you go by the box score and those things, tackles for loss and all this. Um, but there were just some plays where – If you wanted to know who was the more physical football team, I thought LSU exhibited that, and Josh Williams was a prime example on a couple of those runs. Prediction number three on Friday we had for you. Bryce Young will throw a touchdown pass in the game. I know, right? Really went out on a limb on that one. And over his previous 22 starts at Alabama, Young had not taken the bagel in a game when it comes to touchdown passes. It looked like he might until the fourth quarter there when he finally hit Ja'Cory on what was the 
the extended of all extended plays. I talked about it earlier. You got a six-man pressure coming. It, it, it looked like he was sacked two or three times. He stays up, keeps his eyes up, and hits Ja'Cory over the top. And look, if there was a hero for Alabama once again in this game, it was probably Bryce, but he wasn't without fail. You know, he we can talk about so many things that happened late in the game, and 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 I understand that that's that's what you're going to remember. But when you have an opportunity in front of that crowd, and you go down the field, right down the field, on your opening possession, and you've got an opportunity to get in the end zone. That can be as demoralizing as anything when you're talking about not only a place where you had won five straight times, but in most of those games, you had won easily. So a real opportunity on multiple levels to impact that game went by the boards. And it was a play similar. This is what you love about Bryce, too. The play he made to Cam Latou at Tennessee on the extended play, um, kind of like a point guard on a break. Uh, it, it was it was beautiful. It, it wasn't so much uh, on Saturday night as he threw the interception there in the end zone. And uh, say this for Bryce again, though, when they needed him, when Alabama needed him most in the second half and overtime, uh, he did his thing. Um, and of course, after he did his thing. With the touchdown passage of Corey Brooks, the LSU offense responds with a seven-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Uh, thankfully for the Alabama defense, there was time on the clock, so Bryce was able to get the offense going again, get down the field. Had some opportunities even on that drive to score a touchdown before having to settle for that field goal. And good for Will Reichard, too. And this is another one of those situations where he doesn't get credited by a lot of folks for big kicks. Well, they were all big in a game like this. And then for him on the heels of what happened at Tennessee a couple, three weeks ago to step up in the final 20 seconds and drill that 45, 46 yard field goal. And I can tell you, it wasn't a bad hold from James Burnett, but from what I could tell, the way the ball was set down and turned a little bit, it looked like Will didn't get a good panel to hit. And when I say that, I'm talking about the laces of the football were on the panel facing him as he's coming in on approach. And that's the one panel on a football that you don't want to kick, and especially from distance. And I think that, as much as anything, probably had something to do with that kick kind of sneaking over the crossbar. We also had for you on Friday, edge defenders for both defenses will account for 80% of the tackles for loss. You actually got from Alabama some solid tackle for, for loss production from a number of guys. DeMarco Hellams had a tackle for loss. Jalen Moody had two tackles for loss. Henry had two tackles for loss. Dallas Turner, a tackle and a half for loss. Byron Young had a tackle for loss, and that was a, one of Alabama's six sacks in the game. So six sacks, 11 tackles for loss. You look over at LSU and you see two sacks and four tackles for loss, and you're thinking, wow, that's that's a winning scenario for Alabama. If you're plus four in sacks and plus seven in tackles for loss, you're going to win that football game. Well, as we know, it did not turn out that way. And one of the reasons why is that 
you know, after converting just one of six third down opportunities in the first half, LSU made good on four of six chances in the second half. And again, that third and five uh, in, in which Daniels runs 31 yards there in the fourth quarter, that, that one stung. That one was especially stinging, you have to think, uh, for the Alabama defense because from that point forward, there were no heroes for the Alabama defense. Um, again, this is a defense experienced, talented to the point that it'll show up. Whatever you're feeling about that defense right now after that second half and overtime, it's still going to show up in the NFL draft next April. Still going to be a handful of guys that have their names called very, very early in that draft, I got to think. But after that 31-yard scramble by Jaden Daniels, there were no heroes for Alabama. Instead, you had a true freshman tight end for LSU, albeit a very talented true freshman tight end. One with a very famous surname when you talk about Mason Taylor, son of Jason. Uh, He catches a touchdown pass, beautifully thrown ball. Give Jaden Daniels a lot of credit. Um, You know, you do got Jordan Battle in coverage, uh, and he's right there. Uh, But Taylor wins that one on a really nice ball from Jaden Daniels. And then on top of that, Jordan's in coverage on the game-winning two-point play to the true freshman, Mason Taylor. So those are some of the ways that LSU was able to overcome that big discrepancy uh, there when you talk about, uh, uh, when you talk about the, the, uh, the tackles for loss and the sacks that, that Alabama was able to accumulate in the game. And penalties, once again, too much of a problem for Alabama, even on the defensive side. And, you know, poise is a big part. You know, we talk so much about talent and recruiting rankings, and they're all very important. I'm, I'm not here to give the recruiting rankings don't matter speech because they absolutely matter. But poise is a big, big piece of championship teams. And all too often this season, what we have seen is Alabama, at the moment of truth, in the secondary, and I understand – the, the call against Malachi Moore in Knoxville, you, you can make an argument that that's a tough, tough call to make on a defensive back in that spot. Uh, but Alabama had a couple more on Saturday night in Baton Rouge that uh, I think we'd all agree were, were, were pretty deserving of, of the calls that they had go against them. And so the prediction I had for the game, I had Alabama winning 34-26 to 26 and you know, it was very interesting in the postgame Saturday night because you heard Nick Saban talk about what's left of this season. You're just not used to hearing Nick Saban on November the 5th talk about, well, we can still win 10 games. You're just not used to that as an Alabama fan. And, and that speaks, that, that underlines the incredible, historic, all-time job that he's done as the head coach at Alabama. And there's still the potential for more on the table, but I think... You wonder, anyway, if we're already at a point in this season where Nick Saban, he's not thinking about his offseason to-do list just yet. That's just not Nick Saban. He's got Ole Miss coming up. You still got the Iron Bowl, and then you're going to see how it goes from there. But um, you, you wonder if he hasn't already seen enough to know that either conceptually and or in terms of the voice that 
voices that are instilling some of these con- uh, concepts, um, if, if there might be needed change coming, you know. And so while the next few weeks might not involve a title run, in terms of making decisions about the future and whether or not this program under Nick Saban has many more championship runs in it, I think it's a critical few weeks. I think there's some things right now as Alabama fans you don't want to consider, right? You don't want to consider Alabama football without Bryce Young. Maybe Ty Simpson, maybe Jalen Milrow, maybe someone else is going to step right in there next year and pick it up and keep it moving. Um, We'll see. Uh, But as far as uh, the sustainability of this just incredible run, run for all time, uh, I think the next month or so could go a long way in determining that. And then you get into, well, you know, Nick's been here before. He was here, and we talked about the loss to LSU in 2010. You know, there's some similarities that you certainly can draw between that 2010 team and this team, starting with the perception anyway, and it's going to be hard to argue otherwise with this, that this team is underachieved to this point uh, of the season. And perhaps even by the time the season's over, there's another loss or two for this team. You know, that 2010 team, when it was all said and done, we were talking about that team as the greatest three-loss team in the history of college football, especially after what it did to Michigan State and Kirk Cousins, poor Kirk Cousins in that Citrus Bowl uh, to cap that 2010 season. But it's a different time now, right? In 2010, you could pretty much count on two-thirds of your roster coming back the next season. You can't count on that anymore in the era of the transfer portal and the uh, the one-time transfer rule. That your, your roster isn't built that way anymore, right? And, you know, you can't look at it from the perspective of where Nick Saban's at. And this isn't to say or um, – insinuate that it's time for Nick Saban not at all but Nick Saban is in his early 70s now in 2010 he was in his what late 50s just different just different places and different times and different things to take into account here moving forward for Alabama football so some things to consider certainly and even where again the quarterback position is concerned If you're not playing in the college football playoff, how many more games do you have with Bryce Young? Do you have the rest of the month? And maybe that's it? We'll see. Now, you know, you can talk about Bryce Young, the competitor, and and Bryce Young, the captain. And so you consider all these things, and part of me would be very surprised if Alabama – whether it's a New Year's Six or some other bowl game that's not in the college football playoff, decides, well, I'm going to sit out the the bowl game or the the postseason game. That that would still sort of surprise me, but it wouldn't shock me. So these are all things for down the road. And so what we'll do now is we'll get into some of the positional areas again as we wrap this up. We won't keep you too much longer. Um we got plenty of coverage for you, as you know, right there at BamaOnline.com. Charlie Potter, 
Kirk McNair, Stuart McNair was in Baton Rouge, has photos for you there at BamaOnline.com. But, um, you know, just kind of going through this team now as it sits at 7-2 and two and with two losses in the Southeastern Conference. And look, Lane Kiffin ain't going to take it easy on you next week, you think. Lane had the week off. So uh, the Rebels will be rested and ready in Oxford next Saturday afternoon. But Bryce, in terms of completion percentage, again, certainly not his best performance. There just seemed to be a disconnect, especially after the opening drive. Once they got off script, it seemed like um, LSU was, to its credit, providing a nice mix, a lot of zone. Uh, You still got some young receivers on this football team, so... There's some decisions that have to be made post-snap in terms of coverages and the like, and and Bryce isn't immune to, to making some mistakes from time to time too, but pretty startling to see really when you consider coming off the bye week, or was it because a year ago coming off the bye week and going into LSU, it was anything but pretty in that 20-14 to 14 win over the Tigers in Tuscaloosa. 137 rushing yards for Alabama. So now in the last three games, Alabama with 280 rushing yards. That comes out to about 93.3 per game. Um, Not exactly on par with what we had seen earlier. Probably not a surprise as we've seen in a lot of ways the competition ramp up. This run game that, again, has been feast or famine in a lot of ways, has had more and more empty carries, it seems like. Uh, I was really surprised, though, even though we talk about giving LSU credit and those things and mixing it up on defense, still surprised to just see the the very limited production from the wide receiver position. It's good on one hand to see that – you know, Ja'Cory is continuing to emerge as a number one type, but uh, you just figured there would be some other guys to go along with him in this game. Uh, you know, didn't really see much of Jermaine until later in the game. He had a nice grab there in the fourth quarter as as Alabama was, you know, fighting to, to try to take the lead there in the fourth or tie the game in the fourth, I believe it was. So uh, that's a good thing, but you know, didn't see Isaiah Bond with a catch. Uh, didn't see – I didn't – you know, the, 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 there's guys that, that you're starting to wonder if, what exactly is their involvement. Um, the offensive line, um, I saw Tyler Steen go out briefly. Amari Kite had to come in there at left tackle. Pretty much guard to guard. It was McLaughlin, Echior, and Cohen. Um you know, I thought pass protection was okay at times, but again, just like really the rest of the offense, there's just too much inconsistency and, um, you know, penalties were an issue. Not as much pre-snap as maybe they have been. Had a rough stretch for J.C. Latham in the game. He had another false start on the road. That was his sixth of the season uh, in road games. So, uh, for a young player, that's continued to be a bit of a problem. I didn't like the body language there of the offense for a while. I guess maybe it was in the third quarter. J.C. was kind of a part of this, too. Just seemed like, you know, they were crestfallen or something. And I think you got to give Bryce credit 
from that perspective or someone over there or a couple of guys over there because they they managed to rebound and and get the thing going but you know defensively uh Eli Ricks really wasn't challenged early in the game at all was he um but then as you moved into the second half uh LSU started to dial him up a little bit and he had a couple penalties of his own there um you know I think uh I think Kayshawn Booty, he had the catch on the third down with about four minutes left in the third. You had a pass interference on, uh, I think, Eli in the end zone there on a third and goal. Uh, Malik Neighbors made a hell of a catch down the Alabama sideline early in the fourth working against Eli. Uh, and then a, a pass interference. So it, it, it was rough for Eli Ricks there. And look, they ask Eli to play a lot of man coverage. I, I didn't think Eli Ricks was in there to play zone, uh, to be, to be honest with you. And so, um, that wasn't much of a surprise. And he continued to work around the defense. Um, we saw a mix. We did see a return of the cheetahs in the pass rush. Uh, Alabama was six sacks. Hard to have a problem with that. Um, you know, the John Emery touchdown, uh, to get LSU on the board, I thought it was fairly obvious based on Nick Saban's reaction that he wasn't pleased with Chris Braswell. Uh, he even said post game, I believe Braswell was supposed to peel off and take the back, and instead you got nobody running with the back, and it's an easy touchdown for for John Emery. And again, we talked about the lack of thump. That's that's been an ongoing thing. It, it's kind of a trade off that more and more defenses have made in today's football. Um, and it's problematic when you run up on some of these backs like Goodwin and uh, Williams and maybe even Emory to an extent. Um, and the secondary, you know, it's kind of up and down. I thought there were some good things from Brian Branch. Uh, but again, he had a big PI in the game. Um, it's tough playing that star position, though, man. Uh, you, you, I talked about this in the preview for the game. I mean, Kayshawn Booty lines up inside a lot. So if you're Brian Branch, you're seeing a good bit of him at that star position. And, you know, Brian had seven, uh, nine tackles, seven solos. He did have a pass breakup and a quarterback hurry. Um, DeMarco Hellams, a, a big tackle game once again with 12, maybe too many tackles for one of your safeties, although they like to get him up maybe more up in there a little bit. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you needed somebody to make a play. We can talk about schemes. We can talk about Pete Golding. We can talk about uh, we can talk about Bill O'Brien on the offensive side of the ball. the The offense made some plays in the second half. The defense didn't make any plays in the second half. You know, once again, another game without a takeaway. Um, you know, third downs, as we talked about earlier, pretty good in the first half. Not so good in the second half. Um, the defensive front, it was good to see Jaheim Otis back out there. Uh, you also had DJ Dale back in that mix, but uh, Byron Young continues to be active. Um, but they they give up plays. I mean, you, you think about, again, six sacks and 11 tackles for loss, and, um, you know, you got a quarterback that just, just hurt you more than once with his ability to throw it and run it as well. Special teams, hey, we talked about Will Riker. Good for him. 
Um, I thought that James Burnup was pretty good punting the football. He only punted three times, but he averaged 47.7. I really like James when he takes more of that rugby approach instead of the traditional style. Um, in the return game, you really didn't have much at all. In fact, you, you didn't have anything. In fact, LSU helped you out there in the fourth quarter with the kickoff out of bounds, right? Um, and Reichard with the four field goals, including the 46, to uh, tie that baby up late in regulation. Uh, Will doing what he's done for much of his career. So there you go. That's going to do it for instant analysis following Alabama's 32-31 to overtime loss to the LSU Tigers on Saturday night in Death Valley. Hang in there, folks. Set those clocks back. We're going to get you ready for Ole Miss next Saturday in Oxford. But you know what? We got men's basketball season ready to crank up. How about it, Nate Oates? Need to cheer some folks up early this next week. They're going to be looking to you now. Need to get off to a good start to the 2022-2023 men's basketball season, a team that uh, promises to be pretty fun to watch. So we'll have all that for you at BamaOnline.com. Continuing recruiting coverage as well. Site publisher Tim Watts, recruiting analyst Hank South. Wall-to-wall coverage of everything Crimson Tide right there with us at BamaOnline.com. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Bama Online podcast? If you'd leave us a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. Until next time, so long, everybody. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes... You can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.